you know, the men are away, some of them. I won't bash, the guys are still here. We love you. We're going to talk about the women who were at the, the tomb. We're going to, I'm going to actually, sh- this is going to be split up. And I, I really pray that God, the essence of this talk this morning is about the passion that causes people to do things that they don't imagine they could ever do. You know, Christianity you can approach in two ways and the most tiresome way is seeing an image that you're trying to become and then you try and do it in your own strength. It's exhausting. It's very discouraging because we never ever get there. The Ten Commandments is actually what that's about. You know, the Ten Commandments was this is what I want you to be but I'm actually going to let you look at the Ten Commandments. You know, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You not, shall not commit adultery. You shall not do. And you try and do that. And what happens with us is we don't manage to do any of it. And so it gets very discouraging. And you say, well, I'm not the religious type because I'm not like that. But the Ten Commandments are never given to be something that you can attain to. The Ten Commandments are given to show you the character of God and begin and, and to show us what we are not, not to condemn us, but merely to help us understand we need help. And that's why Jesus came, to help us from the inside out. And so, I've got to be disciplined this morning. So we're in the beginning of Luke chapter 24, and Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been uh, brutally crucified, and he's disappointed all those who loved him. Because they weren't anticipating what happened and he just seemed another powerless pawn in the in the brutality of the Romans ho-hum here we go again and there were women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it and then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment that must have been one of the longest days an excruciating day when they witnessed and they followed, these women followed Jesus to the cross. And then they went home and they were shattered. I find these passages helpful because so often we live in the, in the fantasy of life is meant to be just all roses and following Jesus is all about having a comfortable life. Um, and it's not in the Bible. That's in a sort of religious fairy tale. Because the Bible is about how do people in a broken world live with an extraordinary grace and strength and courage in a manner that astounds those around them? How do people who know God live in such a way that those who don't know God are astounded by their peace, their trust, their faith, their courage, even when they die? Because they're learning how to live extraordinary lives in the midst of circumstances that are so ordinary and depress so many people. That's what we're called to. We're called to be an extraordinary people in the midst of ordinary mundane lives where people get sick, people suffer, people die, people go bankrupt. All the stuff happens and God is in the midst of it and says, I'll lift you through that. And we have these women who demonstrate that. And if you go through all the accounts, you get a list of these women. I'll just give you a few of them. Well, the ones that are named in the Bible. There's Joanna. Uh, she's the wife of uh, jo- Joanna was the wife of Chusa, who was the manager of Herod's household. So she was actually um, quite a aristocratic lady with a lot of power, and she was following Jesus, and she was following her f- him for quite a long time. Some believe that she might have divorced Chusa, 
because it tells us in the scriptures that uh, Joanna was one of the women with another woman called Susanna who who provi- who were, who who had money basically they they were quite rich and and so they were they helped support the ministry of Jesus and provide for them during the three years that he was in ministry and the reason they believe it's 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 the conjecture is that maybe I'm interrupting myself the, the, why why she might have divorced is that it's very difficult to imagine a woman following Jesus all around the countryside if she's still married to uh, Herod's head steward. And what might have actually broken the marriage might have been the beheading of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist, the one who was pointing the way to Jesus, uh, was just brutally and trivially killed because Herod wanted to impress the people around him. And that might have been the last straw. I, this is just might not be true at all, but trying to make it human, trying to make it in the context of people wrestling with faith and wrestling with their lives and wrestling with what was happening around. Anyway, Joanna was one of the people who followed Jesus to the cross and beyond. Then there was Mary, mother of James and Joseph from Galilee. Almost every second woman was called Mary. That's why they said Mary of this and Mary of that and Mary of that because Marys were everywhere. There was Susanna who was a widow probably who helped finance Jesus. There was Mary Magdalene who was the uh, probably the prostitute and the one who had seven demons cast out from her. And it's really important to realize that uh, Mary, probably the prostitute from the streets, mixing with Joanna, was profound. Um, but Jesus brings these women together from such different backgrounds and they begin to follow together and they're at the cross together. It's, it's a huge testimony to us. Uh, don't let anybody's station in life determine how you behave to them because Jesus doesn't he has no time whatsoever for snobbishness for one-upmanship he has nothing there's nothing in the spirit of Jesus that justifies that so we have to love everyone and we are called not to like everybody but like I love Bev's dog I just don't like it love is an action liking is an emotion and we're called to love and then there was Salome who was uh the wife of Zebedee and probably the mother of James and John. She was that forceful woman who said, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can my boys be number one? So she was, she was probably somebody to be reckoned with. Joanna, Mary, Mary, Susanna, Salome and some others. And these women had followed Jesus to the cross, had witnessed the crucifixion and then had gone home and began to prepare the spices for the ritual burial that, 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 that was normal in their culture. No expectation of anything different happening. Exhausted after coming up from Galilee, that you can imagine the roller coaster. And again, I just want to keep inserting things in here. Um, following Jesus sometimes is a roller coaster. We come from a place of spiritual deadness. And he's starting to make us come alive. And everything about Jesus is counterintuitive. He does not do things the way we do. And we really, really have to watch the way that we always try and pull him down to our culture and pull him down to our reference points and pull him down to, well, if I was God, this is what I would do. It very seldom works like that. There's a mystery in God, a bigger picture in God, a whole different agenda. And so we have to allow God to reveal himself. That's why we need revelation so much. Revelation is God's spirit giving us insight because we would never have worked it out without him. So we need a huge amount of humility and a huge amount of uh, working things together. And so in this 
trauma and in this exhaustion and in this absolute despair of there is no future, they come to the tomb and they find the tomb open. And they think somebody's stolen the body. And they have no idea what has happened. How many of us have given up on God because we've come to a situation and we say, I don't understand this. And that's the last. We've gone there. What you don't understand is the beginning of revelation. Instead of walking away angry, it might be better to stay there confused. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I don't have time to go through this, but I came across it, which I think is cool. If you wanted to do a Bible study on Luke 24, uh, look at the, the way Luke 24 is all about openness. And I'll just run through a list and then you can take it and read it. The women come to the open tomb. Later on, the scriptures are open to the disciples. The disciples' eyes are opened after they've had the scriptures open to them. The disciples opened their hearts to the Lord after they had had the scriptures open to them. The disciples opened their home to the Lord after they had their eyes opened and their hearts opened. The Lord opened up the mindset of the disciples to understand what he was telling them. The heavens were opened when Jesus ascended and the disciples' mouths were opened after that to give him worship and praise. Read Luke 24 and look at openness. And then when you're silent and when your mouth is closed, start saying, God, why is it closed? And don't allow the lie, that's who I am. No, that's who I've become. I've become unable to speak. I've become silent. I've become shy. I've become intimidated. I've become... And by the way, that's a diagnosis, not an accusation. So you start saying, Lord, I want to be more than I am. So I give you permission. That's why we need God's Spirit. And so this journey that the women have where they go to the, the tomb and then they, they, they see and they're totally astounded and they meet these angels who speak to them and say, why are you looking for the dead, uh, the living among the dead? And you kind of go, that's not sensitive. That's what we do. We expect the dead to be where the dead are. And they say, no, this is a new day. This is the beginning of a whole new season with human beings. Because from this day, the dead don't stay dead who are in Jesus. From this day, death has lost its sting. From this day, the tomb is merely a parking place for a body. From this day, resurrection is what triumphs. The trick and the challenge is, it's easy to read these things. But the invitation is, so what difference does it make to my life? How does this change my life Somebody says this, unbelief does not mean that people believe nothing. Rather, it means that they believe something else. Unbelief does not mean that people believe nothing. Rather, it means that they believe something else. Every single one of us lives by faith. Every single human being lives by faith. If they say there is no God, they're living by faith in something else. Everybody lives by faith. And that's one of the reasons why we're learning how to have our minds renewed by saying, well, what is your belief? And we've grown up in a culture where says we don't talk about that. And if we don't talk about that, guess what's happened? It's actually secularized the whole of Canadian society. You need to talk about it. You need to explore it. You need to say what you believe. What don't you believe? Why do you believe that? Or why don't you believe that? If you want to build your faith, you've got to start questioning. You've got to start in- engaging with belief systems. Though the church proclaims the resurrection confidently today, the original witnesses had to be convinced that it had occurred. 
And that's really the essence of what I'm trying to say, which is that those, those women, as they followed Jesus, as they came to the, the, the cross, they came to the empty tomb with what they had. And then they left the empty tomb and they went back to the disciples and they said, this has happened. And the disciples said, oh, you're talking nonsense. And you have this picture of Peter going, running to this tomb, desperate, alone, saying, could it be? It's a very moving Verse 12, Peter went, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Peter is the one who carries the guilt of betrayal and you can see him just walking away from that tomb in fear and confusion, lost. And I want to encourage us to realize that there are moments in your walk with God where you're trying to make sense of God, where you're going to feel like that where you're going to feel lost and, and you don't understand why God. And I'm wanting to encourage us to say that's when we need to persist and persevere. Because I think far too many of us just give up. Far too many of us live a very, very superficial Christian life. Because we actually don't question or we say we're shy or we live an infantile faith that depends on circumstances. So if, if you get something in the mail today that gives you some money, you say, oh, God loves me. Praise God. You crash your car tomorrow, God doesn't care. And it goes backwards and forwards like a spoiled kid with a very, very immature belief system. Which in our relationships, if you have relationships like that, they don't survive. If every time you have an argument in a marriage, I'm divorcing you, you will be divorced. Because if you threaten me that much, get out of here, I don't want it. There's a point where we need to actually take responsibility and go, Jesus, I want to wrestle with you so that I can come to a place of conviction. And that goes on all of our lives. So I want to just give you a suggestion and I'm going to show you a video. I think there are five things I can see here easily and I'm just going to name them about the disciples, their journey into faith which went through this and then it was going to go to Pentecost. There was lots more around it. They were confused with the cross and the empty tomb or the tomb. There was confusion. And when they were confused, what did they do? They did what they, what they knew what to do. They were disillusioned Jesus was dead. He was in the tomb. Well, what do we do in a culture? We go and prepare the body with spices. Well, I guess we'll do that. When you're confused, when, you, when you're not knowing what to do, do what you know what to do. When I was going through my darkest time, God seemed to say to me, and I was hardly talking to him, but he seemed to say, just do whatever you see at hand today. And that was dealing with deep depression. If you see the lawn needs mowed, mowing the, mow the lawn, do something. And in confusion... In a place of confusion, which we all will have, just do something. And the point that is right through this whole passage is also do it with other people. One of the curses of our time and one of the reasons so many people never make any progress is because I will meet with you when I've worked my stuff out and so I can come back to you being all right. We are the most screwed up people because of our pride and our independence and our absolute unwillingness to actually wrestle together with things. And therefore we slow everything down. When our bodies get sick, we go to the doctor, we go to the hospital, we do all kinds of things to get help. When our emotions and when our faith is sick, we often retreat or we blame everybody. So you go into the hospital and blame everybody because I'm sick. No, of course not. The doctor says, shut up, lie down, I'm going to examine you. You're the issue right now. And I think there's a strength that comes with just going, God has given us one another as gifts. One of the values of this church is really nothing is going to be that shocking. And we all need help and we all have seasons. 
And so there's value in when we're confused. We need one another to help us. All right, confusion. The second one was courage. Those women exhibited enormous courage. I mean, you go and stand and watch. We, we recoil and say, warning. For instance, um, don't watch the beheading of ISIS because you'll be offended. It's brutal. It's ugly. It's blood shed and throats cut. Do not watch. Part of me says, no, watch. Watch. Watch slowly. Watch what the absence of Jesus looks like. Let it pierce your heart to the degree that you say, God, let it matter to you. Instead of this anemic, we don't want anything to hurt us or to offend us, get offended. See the suffering of people in the world. See the suffering and see the privilege of people and the lack of privilege in people and make it go deep into you so you start saying, Oh God, I am so grateful for what I have. What can I do? Don't you think? It's the lepers who don't sense anything that are the sick ones. It's not fun. I don't want to watch a beheading. I don't want to watch a crucifixion. I don't want to watch the passion of Christ. But these women stood there. And this man whom they loved, who had poured their lives out to him, and whom he had touched them, because what was going on in them? They saw in him, experienced in him something they had never seen in their lives. He had touched the deepest part of humanity in them. And they came to the cross and it was like it was pulled out. You mean it was a trick? And it took courage for them to come back on the Sunday. The Roman soldiers were there, maybe. It was possible you'll get persecuted. But they came back because their love and their despair and their desperation was so great that it came. the courage they had together overcame the fear. And because of that, they pressed in. We would say, Jesus, will you send your angel to the woman while they're preparing spices so they don't have to have any more trauma? And I don't understand why he doesn't do that. But many of us are held back because of, as Carol said, fear. Many of us are held back because it's going to be uncomfortable. I hate that word. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, you should be. If I was you, I'd be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is part of growth. But you, you, you'll only get uncomfortable when you're desperate. You go to the hospital. Are the procedures comfortable? Is taking off your clothes and walking around with that ridiculous gown comfortable? Is all the stuff that they do in the hospital comfortable? We're prepared to go to a lot of discomfort for our bodies to be healed. What about our spirits? You really believe that you're going to grow in God without being any, with a little bit of discomfort? Come on. Don't be surprised. I'm taking too long. Communi- confusion, courage, community we've talked about. Then We need one another. We need one another. We need one another. We need one another to speak. We need one another to, to come to us and, and, and challenge us and help us and all the rest of it. So, Father, we bless you for that in one another. So we press in with one another. We call one another out. Do you need people around you? Do you trust in yourself? You don't want to. You want to be able to live in community with people who, who love you and will, will both encourage and check you. It's conviction that as these people traveled with Jesus and Jesus came back to them, you, I mean, they went back to the disciples. The disciples went to the tomb. They went into the, to the upper room and guess what? Jesus came and said, it is true. There will be a time in the process when the revelation comes. But it might not always be front end. It might be you've got to do a little bit of walking. Why? Because he's building character. He's building things in there. 
He's building things in there that somehow matter. So conviction comes after you've made some journeys. And then the last one is conversion. Conversion is when you actually go, well, how does this change my life now? And as Carol was saying, well, it changes my life because if God is real and God is present and God is always, then fear maybe doesn't need to be my enemy. Fear is something I can place at the feet of Jesus and say, but you are with me. And we work it out. Now, I want to um, show you a video and I was going to show you just a song because Jan sent me a link to a singer and then I looked at a few more. And God's been sort of just, this whole word idol has been with me all week. Um, And as it often happens, things come out from different sources and you go, oh, that might fit. Because I think what happened with these women and what happened with the disciples was Jesus met them at a place where they began to let go of what they thought was important. And they are like us, so don't put them into special categories. That He began to just woo their hearts to the point where, you remember when Peter was on Galilee after the, res- the, the resurrection and he's quite depressed, he's down in Galilee and he makes, the, he makes that uh, meal and they'd caught fish after he had said throw the, throw the nets on the other side and it was like the first time he called them and Peter gets you know, puts on his clothes and jumps in the water and he comes to him dripping and, and Peter, Jesus says have some, some, have some breakfast and then he says to Peter do you love me and he says to him the first time he says do you love me more than these and it might well be that he was looking at the fish in the boats and saying do you love me more than these and if you're going to follow Jesus there is a point where he's going to ask you that do you love me more then and you fill in the blank and he will cover your whole life And today he will ask of me things he probably wouldn't have asked me 20 years ago. Because he will demand I'm Lord of everything. And so this young lad wrote a song called uh, Clear the Stage. And I've seldom heard something put so well. And to land this, I I thought, and then then I sort of found that he'd given a testimony about why he wrote the song. And so his name is Needham. James? Jimmy Needham. Have any of you heard of him? Well, you're going to hear of him. And uh, so I just invite you to listen to his testimony. He's probably 28, 29 now, 30. Um, And then we'll listen to his song and then I'll just close. But to get the gist of what he's saying, what I was trying to say with these women and the disciples coming to the cross is that Jesus captivated them to a degree that caused them to let go of other things that had captivated them. And what he's trying to bear witness to is you can try and guilt each other and ourselves into following Jesus and trying to pretend he's loving me and trying to pretend that I'm captivated when I'm not. Or I can actually just go, I want to be captivated. But in order to be captivated, I've got to make a journey to the cross or to the tomb. I've got to actually do stuff to get to that place where I get, it makes sense inside. And that's maybe different for different people. And so out of that testimony, he wrote the song. And as we listen to the song, just think about what are idols for you? What are things that actually captivate you and your passion more than Jesus? And I know that sounds spiritual geeky. But the idea is if I actually find my bread and my water in Jesus, everything else will come into perspective where I can still enjoy lots of things. They're just not my life. Let's listen. It's it's a very cool song. 
So one of the ways of hearing God is just, you know, God doesn't speak to us. He's not speaking as to now with great anger or, or great... Um, he's not pointing fingers. He's like a doctor who's giving a diagnosis. He's saying, well, if you want this, this is what you need to look at. What's become too important? You're looking for, where's your empty water well? You might be digging it in your house or your family or relationship or lack of relationship or work or drug. It could be anything. And what is respectable for one person is not for you. And you can be coming up for prayer and asking God for healing and it's sitting there all the time. And he says, nothing's going to change. So if you can't change it, ask me to give you a hunger to change it. If you can't change it, then come to me with that. I went to God years ago and said, I don't even want to come back to you, but I don't know where else to go, so help me. It's where I had to start again. You see, he loves you passionately. He loves me passionately. And so he's after truth. And when, when the disciples you know, were exposed to the resurrection, he didn't leave them with the angels saying, he is risen, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Have a nice life. He actually cobbled together evidence, but at the end of that evidence was personal revelation. He said, here I am. Because all these signs point to relationship with me, which is what I'm wanting to invite you back into. And out of that relationship will come your life. So let's stand. Let's ask him to breathe life into us. Because the older you get, the more you realize the things you invest in on earth are very, very temporary. And if your identity is rooted in your Facebook likes or even relationships at the end of the day, they fail. It doesn't make you cynical. It just makes you wiser. And so Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your gentleness. We thank you for your truthfulness. We thank you for your love that presses in on us this morning and says, you know, you don't have to look back and wish you were those disciples. You are my disciples right now. You're on your own journey. And they had to get up and they had to do stuff. And So you're just going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He might say, keep doing what you're doing. Or he might say, what, what, what is your question? What is your question today for me? And I'll take you on a journey to get you an answer. Because the way we grow in faith is just asking questions together. So come Holy Spirit. Nobody else can ask the question you have for you. And there's some of you here who you live on other people's experiences. This is not an accusation, it's an invitation. 